And we are celebrating the day of Pentecost today. Uh, it's a day that we set aside uh, immediately following Easter. And uh, we celebrate again the birth of the church that we've talked about. We celebrate, of course, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, on the church, which, of course, enables us to do, to do and to be many, many things. Before we get to the sermon today, I want to preface this with, with I want to preface my sermon with something. I want to give you guys maybe a little bit of a warning. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about this morning may be difficult for some of you to hear. And right now my wife is squirming in her seat wondering what I'm talking about. Some of what we talk about today, some of the topics we're going to cover may be difficult for some of us. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, some of the topics that we're going to cover may make some of us a little bit uncomfortable. Because we're going to be covering some topics that could be challenging to us. Not harsh, not condemning, not insulting, but maybe a little bit difficult. I've been told that one of the things you guys like about me the most over the last couple of years is that I've challenged you. So I hope that we will keep that same mindset over the next 30 minutes or so. And uh, that we will all have some open minds if some of the stuff that we do talk about does in fact challenge you. Because honestly, that's what the Bible should do for us. That's what scripture, if we're not being challenged in our walk with Jesus, and if we're not being challenged in our walk with the Holy Spirit and our walk with scripture, something ain't right. So I hope that you will keep your minds if some of this stuff does make you a little bit uncomfortable. Some of this stuff does seem a little strange, maybe a little bit odd to you, that you'll just keep an open mind and realize that we're basically just talking about stuff that has been part of our Christian history for 2,000 years. And the scripture that we're going to look at is the um, same scripture Susan used. It's the one that's utilized pretty frequently on Pentecost Sunday. It tells the brief story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples, just as Jesus had, uh, just as Jesus had promised, like we talked about last week. We're going to dive a little bit um, as a review into that. But our scripture is Acts 2, um, verses 1 through 4. Not a whole, not a very long piece of scripture. But we just want to kind of give you the idea of, of what occurred on that day. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open up. And we're going to read those four verses uh, real quick. Like. Again, it's Acts 2, 1 through 4. And this again just describes to you briefly. This is the briefest and very, very, very briefly. Uh, kind of what occurred on the day of Pentecost. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They being all of these disciples, all the disciples. Suddenly, like Susan said, y'all kind of place yourself in this, in this environment here. Y'all place yourself in this situation. Certainly this probably scared the mess out of some of these folks. But suddenly a sound like a blowing wind, um, like a blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's the Word of God for the people of God. So again, as we set aside this day in the, uh, in the calendar of the church to recognize and to celebrate, to remember uh, Pentecost Sunday, we remember this is a major, major event in the life of the Christian church. It was a moment that had been prophesied about um, over and over. And if we remember correctly from last week, it's a moment that Jesus promised his disciples was coming soon, just prior to his ascension. Remember last week was uh, Ascension Sunday. We remembered uh, Jesus ascending into the heaven. That was something we talked about. We um, hit on chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. 
And we talked about this. Jesus predicted this. He said, oh yeah, I'm going to be, I got to go because I'm going to be sending you guys a gift. Just like, uh, just like the Father promised. Well, this is the gift that we were talking about, again, as Susan has already mentioned. The gift of the Holy Spirit. But I want to review just for a couple of minutes what we did talk, a little bit more about what we talked about. Because in that last chapter of Luke, we saw Jesus appearing to the disciples. And we learned a couple of things. First, we learned that Jesus opened their eyes uh, to Scripture. We learned, we learned that you know, even though they had walked with Him, even though they had followed Him for three years, they still didn't totally get who Jesus was, and they still didn't understand you know, why He died. You know, they're sitting there, they're worried, they're scared, and uh, they don't get it. They don't understand why, do, why did our Savior have to die, our Lord have to die. Well, here He is appearing to them, um, appearing to them. Explain, he explains to them the Old Testament scriptures, particularly he talks about some scriptures uh, from the book of Joel, from the book of De uh, Deuteronomy, from the Psalms, and he enlightens them. And finally, they get it. They understand who he is. They understand this whole lot that why Christ had to die, why he, why he was resurrected, why he had to ascend, why he had to leave. Um, and we've all talked about, on several occasions now, the disciples still, up until this point, they just didn't get it. But Christ also said something else in Luke after he opened their eyes. And again, that's something we touched on briefly. He said, I'm going to send you guys what my Father has promised. And once more, of course, that's the Holy Spirit. And he instructed them at the end there to stay in the city. Do you all remember that? He, he told them, stay in the city until, um, remain where you are until you have been clothed with power on high. And that's the way he wrapped, we kind of wrapped up Luke. Uh, 24, stay in the city, the city being Jerusalem where they were. Stay here until you are clothed with power on high. That's a word I want you guys to remember today. That word power, that's one we're going to focus on a lot, especially towards the end. Power, power, power. Today we recognize that moment of power. We remember that moment, we read about that moment in these few verses in Acts, Acts 2, 1 through 4. This is it. This is what Christ said was coming. Just to give us all, all a little bit of background and context, the author of the book of Acts, by the way, is also generally considered and believed to be the author of Luke. And I may have mentioned that to you guys last week. I can't remember if I did or not. But most scholars, most people believe that, that the author of Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. Originally, these two books were one book. It was called Luke-Acts. Um, somewhere along the line, though, it was, it was separated, which is why, we've got, why we have two books. But the author of Acts, he starts uh, the book of Acts by kind of restating some of the stuff that Jesus said that we looked at at the end of Luke last week. He talks about there being 40 days between the resurrection of Christ and the, and the ascension of Christ. He restates Jesus' instructions for them to stay in Jerusalem, where they, where they were, until they had received this gift that the, uh, that the Father had promised. He added a couple other things that we didn't read in Luke. For example, he also says that Jesus stated to them that John the Baptist had baptized with water, but that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he adds something else, which is greatly important for us to remember on this day. And it's something that, again, we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail. This is found in the first chapter of the book of Acts, before Jesus ascends. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power. There it is again, that word, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. 
And sure enough, as we celebrate today, when Pentecost comes, just a few days after Jesus had said this, it happens. And it is a powerful, powerful event. Which catches us up to where we are in, uh, in the scriptures today. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire, all those things. Let me tell you what happens after this. Peter gets up and Peter starts preaching what we refer to often as the Pentecost, his, Peter's Pentecost sermon. Uh, there's, a, there, there's all kind of people there. Some of these folks are accusing these people who were speaking in tongues of being drunk. First thing Peter says, he gets up, he says, no, it's not, they're, not, uh, they're not drunk, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. So clearly nobody's drunk. Uh, and then he just starts preaching to them. And he kind of preaches a little bit more of this stuff similar to what Jesus um, opened their eyes to back in the Gospel of Luke. He starts teaching them, the, uh, he starts teaching them showing them, pointing them to Christ in the Old Testament. He points them to Christ in the Old Testament. Again, he talks about prophecy from the book of Joel, prophecy from Psalms. And uh, what he says is he's, he says, believe. We've talked about that word believe for the last few weeks. Just as Christ instructed the disciples earlier, he calls the crowd, Peter does, to repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. He tells him, you guys will receive the same Holy Spirit that you are witnessing if you will believe and repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And incredibly, incredibly, at the end of this sermon, 3,000 people are brought to a relationship with Jesus Christ that we read about. 3,000 people as the result of Peter's sermon are brought into a relationship with Christ. This is again the same day of the birth of the church. 3,000 people. And, and i got to tell you, not to criticize, but it really wasn't that great of a sermon. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? 3,000 people. Can you guys imagine that today? Can you guys imagine what it would look like to have 3,000 people join our church today at the same time? Well, that's, that, that's what they experienced on the day of Pentecost. So, here comes the difficult stuff. Let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. What is the deal? What's all this business with this speaking in tongues stuff? Because this is really the primary thing that jumps out to us in this verse, right? Acts 2, 1 through 4, our scriptures for this morning. Isn't that kind of what we want to know about? Clearly, that's, the, that's just kind of jumps out, out to us. It jumps off the page to us. And it's not something that we talk a whole lot about in the Methodist church. This is, again, this is going to be the first topic that I told you we're going to talk about today that may make some of us uncomfortable. And it may be difficult for some of us. I want to give you guys just a brief little history lesson when it comes to the idea of speaking in tongues and the Methodist movement or the Wesleyan movement. First and foremost, John Wesley believed in the gift of speaking in tongues. He believed in the gifts of what we call the extraordinary gifts. These are some of those things that we read about in the book of Acts. We think about speaking in tongues. We think about the gift of prophecy. We think about the gift of healing. We think about the gifts of uh, interpreting tongues. Wesley believed in all of that. He believed in all of that, although he did not practice it. He did not believe that he had these gifts. At the same time, yeah, he believed that they were real. And he, he believed that other people, of course, did have them. Now, of course, Wesley in his time experienced and witnessed all kind of great manifestations of the Holy Spirit as they were ministering, to, as, as they were ministering, as they were building this movement. Absolutely no doubt about that. Speaking in tongues, of course, being one of them. But he also, he also witnessed physical healings. He also 
witnessed and experienced these great, unexplainable movements of God. If you go back and look at the Wesleyan movement, the Methodist movement in its early days, it's pretty unexplainable how this thing just exploded over a few short decades in the United States and in Britain. If that's not a movement of God, if that's not a great manifestation of the Holy Spirit, I don't know it is. But again, at the same time, he never claimed to have any of these what we call extraordinary gifts. In his theological perspective, the best, the, the, uh, these, these extraordinary gifts were kind of trumped, if you will, um, by the ideas of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, he believed the fruits of the Spirit were much more important things for us to concentrate on. And I believe the same thing, too, when we talked about the fruits fairly recently as well, how the Holy Spirit manifests joy, kindness, love, self-control, those types of things in our lives. But nevertheless, he believed in, the, he believed in, the, in these uh, extraordinary gifts. Wesley was not referred to as... Now, here we go. Wesley was not referred to as what we call a cessationist. There's a big academic word for you guys. A cessationist is basically a... There's two schools of thoughts when it comes to these extraordinary gifts, what I'm calling extraordinary gifts. One of the cessationists, the other is the non-cessationist. The word cease is what's important for you to remember in that big academic word, cessationist. There's two schools of thoughts. Cessationist, and this is the environment that I grew up in. This is the environment that I was raised up in. Cessationists believe the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased during the time of the early apostles. They do not believe that they are active gifts any longer within the church. In other words, they don't believe that there is any validity to speaking in tongues, uh, prophecy, physical healings, extraordinary healings, those types of things. This group does not believe these things exist. Now, of course, on, any longer. Of course, on the other side uh, are the ones that do, that certainly believe that, yes, people are gifted. People are graced with the gift of speaking in tongues. People are graced with the gifts of interpreting tongues. People are graced with the gift of prophecy. People are graced with the gifts of physical healing. All of us know. All of us know that our charismatic and our Pentecostal brothers and sisters have strong, strong, strong beliefs about this. It is that these are primary teachings of their, of their faith traditions. Now, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, what's your opinion, Pastor? I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to leave it up to you guys because this is, a, this, is, this, is, this is good stuff for us to talk about on Pentecost Sunday. Like I mentioned earlier, I was brought up in a faith tradition that did not believe that these gifts continued. They believed that the, these, these particular gifts were God, God stopped them or they ceased at the time of the early apostles. Also, as you guys know, as most of you know, Sandy and I also spent about two years in a Pentecostal environment, in a Pentecostal church. And here's what I believe, and I base this on nothing but my own experience and my own understanding of Scripture. I think that uh, one of the reasons that God allowed me to be placed in that particular environment <clears throat> was He wanted to open my heart and He wanted to open my mind to the reality of the Holy Spirit. I think that's why He allowed me to be placed there because here's, what I, here's something I'm going to get to a little bit later. <clears throat> the church in general, and we as Methodists in, in particular, I would argue, I ain't trying to make nobody mad. It just is what it is. We have kind of left the Holy Spirit over here. Okay, we like talking. Well, we, we, professed, we professed the Trinity. We professed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But do we really embrace the Holy Spirit? We talk a lot about God. We talk a lot about Jesus. 
But do we really embrace the reality of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, most of us and most churches outside of those particular faith traditions? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. And I just, again, I base that on my experience and some, some knowledge of other churches. But for the most part, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of put the Holy Spirit over here to the side. So that's one reason that I think God allowed me to be in that environment. Is he wanted me to experience that. He wanted me to experience the reality of, 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 of the experiential. I think Susan mentioned that. Or, or Lois one talked about experiencing this. And yes, it is a feeling. And no, our Christian faith is not based on feelings. Yes, you can experience and feel the presence of God as it's manifested in the Holy Spirit. So again... I, hate, I think that he used that experience to open up my mind to this reality. I witnessed things in that environment that I could not explain. I thought it was weird at first. I thought it was crazy at first. But as time went on, I, I witnessed things in those environments that I could not explain. I witnessed people speaking in tongues. I witnessed people interpreting tongues. I witnessed a 70-something-year-old woman who would speak, who when she would speak in tongues, would speak in a Native American language that there is no possible way that she could have known. Experienced the same thing with other people within that same congregation. There's no, absolutely no way they could have known these languages. <clears throat> absolutely no way. And I experienced people interpreting those tongues. Now that's something that's in the Bible. That's, that's, that's one reason that, that we don't do it here. <laughs> that, a lot, that a lot of churches don't do it. When someone stands up within a congregation environment and they start speaking in tongues, well, to make that valid, there's got to be somebody else that's able to interpret that. I witnessed people interpreting other people in tongues, and they would do it with power. There's that word, and they would do it with authority. Now, here's the thing. And I, again, I'm not trying to make nobody uncomfortable. And I'm sure this probably does to some degree. I just want you guys to think about it. Ultimately, I prayed to receive this gift. And I did receive this gift. It happened to me during a prayer meeting one night. And I don't have any doubts about the validity of it. I have, I, have, I have done this. This has happened to me on a number of occasions with Sandy present. And I think that she will tell you when it has happened, it has been hands down the most intense, most real experience of God that either one of us have ever had together. There is no doubt about the presence of God when this has happened to me. When I've opened myself to this gift, I don't do it with you guys, okay, for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't want to freak anybody out, okay? Number two is there are scriptural reasons not for me to do this um, within this context because we don't have anybody here that's going to interpret that. I continue to do it in my prayer life very, very often. I feel that God leads me in my prayer life, um, and when I feel that, I just submit to it. I just submit to it. It's not, it ain't nothing to do with me, but I will submit to it. If I feel God's pushing me to, to pray in a language that I don't know while I'm praying, I will do it. And I feel God very close to me during that time. So that's my story, and that's my thoughts on this subject. That's my thoughts on the idea of speaking in tongues. What I would encourage you guys to do as you consider this gift is not discount it. And I know that in our environment, we have there are charismatic Methodist churches, by the way. But in our particular environment, it's kind of it's kind of kind of hush hush. We just don't talk about it, and most of us don't practice it, and that's fine. What I am going to ask you guys to do is don't discount it, okay? Don't discount this ability. Don't discount this gift of the Holy Spirit, because here's what happens: to totally shrug it off, to totally shrug our shoulders, and to discount the possibility of these gifts, 
would be to deny the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? To say that God is un, to say that this doesn't exist is basically saying that we're basically saying, well, God can't do this. We're discounting the power of God to work through people. And that's what God does best is He works through people. One more word that I want to focus on for the last few minutes. Like I told you guys, that word is power. Power. And you see this over and over again in the Acts. Our churches, like I mentioned earlier, many of them have done a wonderful job talking about God. We've done a wonderful job stressing God, stressing Jesus over the years. But many of us have a tendency to forget, or at least we minimize, the work and the reality of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, I think this is probably the primary reasons that our churches have lost their power. Plain and simple. We try to go about things within our own means, within our own strength, doing things our way, and we minimize, we forget, we deny the presence, the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why a lot of our churches are just as weak. We're weak. We're weak because we're people. And we're not inviting God along with us on these journeys. Nearly every week, nearly, nearly every week here in this church, we recite the Apostles' Creed. When we say that one little thing in there, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's our affirmation. It's a short affirmation, but it's an important one. And perhaps we have forgotten or dwindled the Holy Spirit down to the point where it really has very little meaning, very little real meaning in our lives. I want to drive out, draw out two scriptures speaking to the point of power. Two scriptures I want to draw out. The first one, again, comes from Acts 1, which I mentioned a little bit earlier in the beginning of the sermon, where Jesus instructs the disciples to stay in Jerusalem. He's instructing them to stay in Jerusalem. And he says this. He says, stay in Jerusalem. Again, this comes from Acts 1. He says, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high, until you have been clothed, there's that word again, from power from on high, and that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what we read about in today's scriptures in Acts 2, this event. This was not a weak, this was not a feeble, and this was not a frail church. It was a church that was graced, and it was a church that acted on the power and the authority that was granted to them through the Holy Spirit. This is not an anemic church. This is a church that was empowered with authority, power, real grace. And they received it and they acted on it. The second one I want to point out to you in regards to the power of the Spirit, the power of Jesus, comes again from the Gospel of Luke. And you're invited. I invite you guys to, to, to actually look at this one if you get an opportunity. It's Luke 9. That's the first couple of verses in Luke 9. Now we're really going to start freaking some people out. <laughs> you thought the tongue, the tongue sermon was rough. Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the twelve together, here it comes again. He gave them power and he gave them authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he sent them out to heal the sick. 
I want you guys to soak those words in. I want you guys to, to go back and read that over and over and over and over again. I want you to soak in every word in those very, very short two verses. Look at what Jesus gives the disciples the power to do. There's four things right there. Four things that he mentions. One, he gives them the power to drive out demons. Number two, he gives them the power to cure diseases. Number three, he gives them the power to proclaim the kingdom of God. And number four, he gives them the power to heal the sick. Now, whether you guys want to accept it or believe it or not, the same power that Jesus Christ gave the disciples here in the Gospel of Luke, we have the same power and we have the same authority today. Through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is inside each and every one of us. It's right there in the New Testament. I'm not crazy. It's right there in the New Testament over and over and over again. The simple question is, do we believe what we claim to actually believe? Do we believe what we say we believe? Better yet, do we practice what we say we believe? Or is, just one, or is this just another one of those things that we kind of accept on an intellectual level, but not really a practical level? Why is it easier? Why is it easier for us to believe that God, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim the kingdom of God, but He doesn't give us the power to heal or to cure diseases? The Bible says He does. Scripture says He does. Why is that easier? Jesus asked somebody else a very similar question in one of His parables, in one of the stories in the Gospels, if y'all remember that right. When they lowered the guy down through the roof. Y'all remember that story? Jesus was preaching to a crowd and, and there were so many people, people in there that uh, these guys brought one of their sick friends, crippled friends, and they wanted him healed and they lowered him. They tore, op they tore open the roof of this place where they were. And they lowered this guy down into the middle of the house. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't heal him at first, not physically. He said, your sins are forgiven. And uh, some of these people in the crowd said, you, can't, you know, you can't forgive sins. You're not, you're not God. And Jesus says, well, what's easier? what's easier for you to hear? What's easier for me to do? Is it easier for me to forgive this guy's sins or to heal him physically and say, get up and walk? Y'all get the correlation there? Then he said, get up and walk. Why do we think it's easier, or why do we have no problem with saying, well, yeah, we're empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God, but we ain't got the power. The Holy Spirit doesn't empower us to heal. He doesn't empower us to cure. He doesn't empower us to drive out demons. I'm sorry if that makes some folks comfortable, uncomfortable. But we've got to ask ourselves some honest questions when we start dealing with this stuff. Do we believe in the supernatural? Do we really believe in the supernatural? Last, uh, last limp, this last, not this last limp, but the limp before that. Uh, when, we were, when we were not meeting, I, I, I did an independent study <clears throat> um, on a book that was called Supernatural, by the way, um, by a pastor named uh, Dr. Reverend Car Carolyn Moore. Dr. Moore is a pastor up at the United Methodist Church up around uh, in Evans, Georgia, which is up around Augusta. And she talks about in her book a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about here. And she asks some of the same questions that I'm posing to you guys, only she does it in a much better manner, in a much, straight, much more straightforward manner. I want to read to you guys some of these, a couple of quotes or a straightforward quote from her book that I happen to agree with wholeheartedly. 
And this is just from the first, from the first chapter of her book. But speaking of Luke 9, speaking of these verses that we just talked about where Christ empowers the disciples to drive out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. Here's what she says. She says in Luke 9, the followers of Jesus have the power and they have the authority to cast out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. That is a far cry from what we are experiencing in most churches today. Until we are honest about that, I am not sure that we will be able to move past the very weak substitutes for which we have settled. How many of us are willing to lean in and to start crying out for the real thing? There is a catch, of course. To drive out demons, we have to get within spitting distance of demon-possessed people. To heal, you have to touch people with all manners of diseases. To proclaim the kingdom, you have to associate with non-Christians, heathens. You have to get up close and you have to get up personal with the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed. Our culture has come to accept an hour in church and a blessing before meals as the center of the Christian experience. We are not shooting for tolerable. We are shooting for transformation and for lives that carry power and authority. Let that sink in. I couldn't have said it any better than Dr. Moore does here. So I'm going to ask you guys again, does all this talk of demons and healing make anybody uncomfortable? Please don't feel the need to raise your hands. Ask yourself that though. Does all this talk of demons and healing and curing diseases make you uncomfortable? Does it make us squirm in our pews just a little bit? I'm sure like it used to do with me, a lot of us probably feel that way today. But why? If we feel that way, why do we, why? Simply put, a lot of us have lost our true belief in the supernatural. We've denied the power and we've denied the authority given to us by Jesus himself and empowered to us through the Holy Spirit. We're okay about talking about loving God. We're good with that. We're okay about loving like Jesus. But when it gets to this real supernatural stuff, it makes us all kind of nervous, and it makes us all kind of jittery. I don't have any demon possession stories to tell you guys. I kind of wish I did. I don't have any of those stories to tell you guys, but I'm going to tell you what. I've got healing stories coming out the yin-yang. I have seen physical healings that are absolutely undeniable and unexplainable beyond that of a supernatural source. I'm sorry that Diane got, had to get up and leave a while ago because she is one of them. And I'm sure she doesn't mind me telling you guys a story if you don't know the story of Diane over the last year and a half. Diane was <clears throat> re-diagnosed with cancer. Prior to the pandemic last year, it was either the early part of 2020 or the end of 2019, she was diagnosed again with cancer. And one Sunday, we as a church out at Oak Grove, we not only prayed for her, we got up together, we anointed her with oil, we placed our hands on her, and we prayed with and for her, and we prayed fervently. And it was an honest, honest, oh my gosh, what a sense. You could feel the presence of God there with us, couldn't you, Sandy? A couple of days later, I can't remember if it was the next day or maybe two or three days, she went and got tested, and she had absolutely not a bit of cancer that they could find in her body. 
wasn't there. Been cancer free since then, best of my knowledge. You'll never be able to tell me that we have not witnessed a miracle from God. You'll never be able to convince me that we did not witness a physical and a supernatural healing with that woman. Other people in our church have experienced this as well. I go, I go to the hospital, Kelly. I know you work nights, but I, I started going to the hospital. I started before the, um, before the pandemic, and then, had, and then I stopped then during, <clears throat> when they wouldn't let us come. But I recently started within the last three months or so going back. And I'm going to tell you, I go up there once a week, um, usually in the morning for no, no longer than two or three hours. And I, and I visit these people in the hospital. And i got to tell you guys, I've experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I've experienced the presence of God more in those hospital rooms, percentage-wise, than I probably have here in the sanctuary. Witnessing to the sick, just simply being with the sick and praying with and for the sick. And I cannot tell you how many people in those hospital rooms have told me the same thing. Pastor, when you prayed for me, I felt something. And it ain't me. It's just, it's just Holy Spirit working through me. You'll never be able to tell me otherwise. I think some of those people are healed. I don't get to see 99% of them after they're gone, but I believe some of them probably are healed. I wish I had evidence of that. But I, what I can tell you is there's an undeniable presence there. Many, many times, many, many times it has been and is experienced not only by the patients, by, but by other people who happen to be in the room at the same time. I want you guys to start considering this stuff. I know this makes a lot of us uncomfortable. The fact of the matter is it shouldn't be. This should not be uncomfortable for us. This should be like second nature for us. What's stopping us? Let me ask that. What is stopping us from praying fervently for people? What's stopping us from... Johnny Harrington, what's stopping us from praying that you're going to be healed? Do you believe it, Johnny? Do you believe God's got that healing power, brother? I believe he does. And I pray for you all the time, man. All the time. What's stopping us from praying for real physical healing? Miraculous physical healing. I know that people are going to die. People get old and people die. I get that. But why do we not pray when there is a possibility? Are we embarrassed? Are we worried about our reputations? Are we worried about people calling us religious zealots? Are we worried about how people think about us? So what? So what if somebody thinks that I'm a little bit crazy in my religion? We should all be willing to gladly sacrifice what any human being might think of us. If it means that one person might get physically healed. If it means that one drug addict or one alcoholic may overcome their addiction. If it means that just one hungry person gets fed or one prisoner gets set free. Or just one person enters the kingdom of God. So what? What the world thinks about us. If you guys want to see Broxton United Methodist Church grow. And I'm not just talking numerically. I want that just like anybody else. But if you want to see Broxton United Methodist Church grow numerically, spiritually, as individuals and families... We're not going to do it with our own free will and our own accord. We're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and we're going to learn how to submit to the Holy Spirit work. 
We've all got gifts. We've all got abilities. But at the end of the day, if we're not involving the Holy Spirit with us, it's all for naught. It's all for naught. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the gift of Pentecost. Lord, I thank you for the outpouring of your Spirit on your church. Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts, that you would ask, open up our minds. Give us a willingness and a desire to be submissive to your presence at all times. Dear God, help us to be more open to your work. Help us to be more receptive to whatever it is that you want us to do in our personal lives, our communal lives, our work lives, our family lives. May we honor you in and through all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all are welcome to come up to the altar to pray or to be prayed for or for any, any other reason.